to the Exam Study Expert Podcast, helping you hit the grades of your dreams at school, college, and university through the science of fast learning and lasting memory, the psychology of study productivity, and the secrets to great exam technique. And now your host, the Cambridge University trained psychologist who's dedicated his life to helping students study better and outsmart their exams, William Wadsworth. Hello and welcome to the Exam Study Expert Podcast. It's a pretty special day today. As you'll have heard in the intro jingle, we try to bring together a number of different strands on the podcast to give you the best possible shot at exam success. And two of our biggest pillars that we talk about are firstly, the science of learning and memory. And secondly, how to take good care of yourself so you can be at your most productive and efficient over the long run. Our guest today is Dr. Jana Weinstein-Jones, who's an expert and advocate in not one, but both of these two areas. Jana built a very successful career as a research scientist, applying cognitive psychology to education and publishing numerous papers on memory, attention, learning and study strategies. But she isn't only a respected academic, as you'll hear, she's also brilliant at summarising and making sense of the science and helping learners like us to apply it in practice. But not only that, she's more recently become a a big advocate for self-care. And we won't just be talking about how to study effectively, but also how to balance your study time with the rest of your life and make sure your physical and emotional health stays in great shape. I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation today. Let's dive right in. Jana, a very warm welcome to the Exam Study Expert podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Maybe for listeners that, that haven't come across you before, you could perhaps give a little introduction to, to who you are and your, your various interests over your, your career so far. Sure. So I've been in formal academia for about a decade. Well, actually a decade since I got my PhD in, in 2009, so but over a decade. And the research that I've been doing in that role was applying cognitive psychology to education. So the idea is taking what we know about memory, about attention, perception, and then building teaching and learning strategies on those basic memory principles. And so I've been doing that more academically for the first part of my career. And then more recently, over the past three years, I started really applying that in classrooms. So going into classrooms, talking to teachers and seeing how we can adapt some of these strategies to work for students. In doing all of these um, things all together over the past few years, it ended up being a bit too much to handle. And so I stepped back from my academic job and focused more on the applications, but also started to realize that self-care was an important thing that I had neglected in the past decade. And so I turned towards, you know, actually trying to take better care of my health, my both my physical and mental health, uh, and not trying to work 80 hours a week. So that's sort of where I am today. I'm still carrying on my research and application cognitive psychology to education, but I'm also trying to take better care of myself and trying to spread the message that people should take better care of themselves as well. Uh, I think you nicely teed up the, the two big things we're, we're going to talk about today, learning science and how we can use, as you're saying, the, the cognitive psychology of learning and memory to study better and to, to retain information that we're, we're learning better. Uh, and then also the self-care side, so how we can look after ourselves better. Let's start with learning science. So 
in your work, I know you talk about six major strategies. I've already mentioned a couple of these on uh, previous episodes, but I thought it'd be helpful just to start with an overview of all six and where they'd each fit into your study program. And then perhaps we can get into some specific details about how uh, you'd apply them in practice. Sure. So the six strategies aren't, you know, it's not just the fun, like there are six strategies, which does sound kind of fun, um, especially when they're drawn out on a little hexagon like we've done in the past. But these strategies actually come from decades and decades of research into cognitive psychology um, and that figured out some of the best ways to study. And really, they're not six equally important, equally good study strategies. There are two that form sort of the main backbone. And I believe that you have already talked about them on a previous podcast, but those are space practice and retrieval practice. And I'll talk more about those, I think, in this episode. But essentially, the idea is spacing out your studying so that you're studying little bits of time at a time across a longer period. And then during that studying, you're hopefully doing what's called retrieval practice, which is bringing information to mind from memory, rather than just, for example, reviewing or rereading your notes or rewriting them, which sometimes feels like a good idea, but doesn't actually help if all you're doing is just rewriting the same thing with pretty pens. Um, So those are the two main study strategies. And the way that I think about the study strategies is actually in terms of a um, a sort of a bit of a process model. So we start off by planning out when we're going to study. And that's where space practice comes into it. So you're figuring out when it is that you're going to practice. I know one of the things we might talk about is revision schedules. So the idea of drawing up, you know, I'm going to study this subject, then the subject, then, and you know, there's much to be discussed about that, but that could involve, you know, planning for space practice. Another planning technique is something called interleaving. So that's another one of the six strategies. And the idea with interleaving is that when you are within a study session it's sort of like spacing on a micro level but spacing within a study session where instead of deciding okay i'm going to focus for this next hour on this one type of math problem and solve as many as i can and get really good at them you think about interleaving the different concepts that you're studying or revising and so you might try different math problems for example even though that will be harder it's actually going to help you learn how to do those different type of problems better in the long run than massing and doing over and over again a similar type of problem. So that's another strategy into leaving. So those are the two planning strategies. And then, and we'll come back to retrieval practice at the end, since we've mentioned that already, but then I think about developing understanding. And developing understanding can all be done in conjunction with space practice, also using retrieval practice but there were a few additional strategies that can be helpful there Uh, actually three of them so the other three strategies that we haven't mentioned yet fit into development of understanding so one of them is elaboration and the idea of elaboration is simply adding additional information to your memory so really it's just about building up memories to make them more complex and that's how we pass from rote memorization to real understanding. It's still a memory process, but it's the idea of building more complex memories so that you're not just able to answer a simple factual question, you're able to explain why and how that answer came about. So think of it as, you know, the difference between memorizing your times tables, which is, you know, important and useful, versus understanding 
understanding how it is that multiplication works and therefore being able to multiply any two numbers, not just the ones that you've memorized. So elaboration can take many different forms, but one of them that's really good is asking yourself how and why questions about how things work. So using that same example about times tables. So why is it that, you know, what what time six times eight equals 48. Someone who doesn't understand it will just say, well, that's what I memorized. But someone who does can say, well, look, you add up, you know, eight, six times or six, eight times, you know, whichever. Uh, So it's developing that kind of flexible understanding. And there's lots of different things that fall under elaboration and cause elaboration, like, for example, linking a concept to your own real life. So there are many different ways of doing it, but elaboration is one way to develop understanding. Another one is the use of concrete examples. So teachers will often use examples in their teaching, but as a student, you could also be looking for examples of abstract concepts that you learn uh, you know, in your everyday life. And I can give some more examples of that in a bit once we get into things. And then I just wanted to mention the last strategy under developing understanding, which is dual coding. This is the idea of combining both words and visuals to help you learn. It's not just for so-called visual learners, which I don't know if you've covered this, but there's not much evidence to suggest that that's really a thing. The evidence points more to the fact that visuals and images, diagrams and so on are helpful to anyone learning a difficult subject. In some cases, you may not need them because something is simple enough or concrete enough. But as soon as things get abstract, a uh, diagram or a visual or picture or sketch is a really great way of making things more concrete. And then after, you know, the developing understanding part, there is the reinforcement of learning. And that's where retrieval practice comes in and becomes really, really important because it's through retrieving the information from memory that you actually strengthen the memory itself. Sounds good. And that's very clear structure. So planning your studies first and then developing your understanding and then reinforcing it. Yeah, although I should say it's not necessarily linear like that so you that retrieval practice can really happen sooner rather than later and doesn't need to wait until you've completely developed understanding so in that sense it's not like a step one step two step three but it's just three aspects of studying yeah yeah makes sense makes sense you you mentioned we might sort of come back and talk a little bit about the planning when when we work and you mentioned there were there are a couple of useful strategies you can think about when you're planning your studies What's your kind of practical advice for students, uh, particularly when in the run up to to big exams? So how do they plan their study time? How do they plan what to do and when? Well, you know, it takes me back to my university days where I do remember that I created a very strict study plan for myself. And I, but I think in retrospect, what that really was, was a big session of cramming because I hadn't really done any studying throughout the year. So ideally, to go back, you know, to my former self, I would try to encourage myself to actually you know do something with the course material throughout the year rather than just having this big you know cramming period but I know that you know we can't jump back in time so a lot of students are going to be faced with you know decide is trying to figure out how to learn all the material in a short space of time but even with that there's still some things that can be done I would recommend if you're going to make a schedule for yourself that you know this is going to Uh, point towards some of the self-care that we might talk about later is that you make sure it's not unrealistic and that it includes plenty of breaks 
and, 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 you know, plenty of opportunities to rest, to recuperate, and also um, to sort of consolidate some of the memories because all the studying, all the learning isn't necessarily going to happen um, just during when you're sitting down and focusing on it. Some of it is going to percolate, like you're having a bath and you might have a thought and you're like, oh yeah, that's how those two things connect. And that's really the best type of learning opportunity, the more casual learning opportunity where you integrate understanding of things um, with your real life. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be differentiating, you know, in the bath. That, that sounds pretty... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I can't imagine myself doing that. Yeah, sure. Um, but... Some, for something a little bit more relatable or you know you might spot something some area in your bus that you would want to differentiate <laughs> uh, but you know that there are many different ways in which we can think about things and it doesn't have to be you know rigidly uh, ensconced in that timetable so just just know that you know your self-care your sleep your whatever it is that you need to do is actually going to be contributing positively to your learning as well and isn't just like other stuff that I'm fitting the learning around right so we're not you know completely context dependent in terms of learning quite context dependent so a lot of the time the things that you sit down to study are not going to sort of pop up randomly but the more we can encourage ourselves to think about these things in more casual situations the more they're going to become part of our you know complex web of memories that we have about our lives and thus much easier to conjure up when we need to versus just, you know, squared away in some box of like, this is just some academic stuff that I'm supposed to learn for an exam. So I guess I, what I would recommend is sure, make yourself a schedule so that you, you know, that you're, you're going to have enough time to cover all the units, for example. So in my case, I remember studying for economics, but every time I picked up the book, I would just go to the very beginning. So I got really good at chapter one, <laughs> but I never <laughs> really, you know, got further. <laughs> um, so, you know, by all means plan out to make sure you cover everything. But once again, you don't necessarily want to just go linearly. That's where the interleaving will come in. So, don't do what I sort of try to do, which is start with chapter one and then go on because what you might end up doing is getting stuck on that chapter one. And in any case, like that's not really how your memory works in terms of like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, your understanding sure. grows as you go through everything. So there's no harm in, you know, jumping into a later section first and then going back and sort of be a bit more flexible with it when you're doing your planning but just use the planning to be realistic about how much you're going to be able to cover and that you know how much time you can spend on one particular concept um one thing i didn't know when i was a student for sure is that instead of organizing things by chapter for example which seems so obvious or by topic pick out the most important concepts from the whole entire semester or year or whatever it is and then focus your study on those because that's really how you know you're going to be able to gain the knowledge that you need in order to pass the exam it's not by going through everything systematically it's actually by focusing more of your time on the core concepts or the important concepts that come up a lot and then maybe less time on some of the things that are peripheral probably just worth saying if you're a younger student so you're still middle school high school um or perhaps you're taking gcse's a levels here in the uk 
this advice might not be quite so relevant. If you've got a smaller course overall, perhaps you do want to look at all of it. Uh, but fully agree with Jana, once you get into more advanced courses at uh, university, college, and you have a lot to learn, then prioritisation does become really important. And, you know, at the end of the day, maybe that's okay, as long as you've understood the core, more, more important ones that, that are the foundation of, of the whole material that you're studying. Uh, so I would say, you know, make time, to make the study schedule, but with the caveat that there needs to be ample time for breaks and ample time for relaxation. And that's also part of the learning process rather than just like other stuff. It's equally important. And then also when you are planning what you're going to study in each of the sections, don't just go through and do it chronologically or by topic. If you have a list of topics, actually sit down and think about priorities and what would be most important to learn if you only get to, you know, the first five on your list of 10. Makes sense. Makes sense. You mentioned in an ideal world, if you could go back to the start of the year, you might build in uh, some time to uh, be reviewing what you're learning as you're going through your course rather than leaving it all to the final few Mm -hmm. weeks. Any thoughts on practically how how we could do that? Yeah, so I would say that you know, it is very tough because often we're very driven by external pressure, like an external exam. And when that's not about to occur, it's very difficult to motivate ourselves to do additional studying because we've got the homework and this and that, the other. But what I would say then is instead of trying to formally sit down and, you know, do extra studying, because I honestly feel like that's such a reach, I would say just try to really link what you're studying with your everyday life and find find the you know the real life application of what it is that you're learning even if it's like you know what would be amazing is keep a journal and then you know write in it try to write in it frequently it doesn't have to be long entries but it can just be like today i learned about this and you know i'm i'm having a tough time figuring out how that would be relevant in real life oh but there was this one time and sort of almost like just reflect on what you learn. So it doesn't have to be a studying session. It doesn't have to be like sitting down, opening your books and so on and so forth. But maybe you had some thoughts, maybe, you know, the material seemed particularly difficult, but you're not sure why, or maybe it seemed particularly intuitive, but any thinking you can do about what you learned so that it's not just confined to that, you know, hour long lesson, that's going to be some really good, genuine space retrieval practice. That's great. I like. I love the idea of. I, I guess nearly keeping your keeping your learning journal or your 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 learning diary. I think that's. I think it's a really yeah. nice idea. Cool. I want to just t- touch a little bit more on some of the concepts you talked around uh, to, for for developing your understanding. So, um, elaboration, concrete examples, dual dual coding, and um, perhaps starting with dual coding because we, we haven't talked about learning styles you mentioned uh, the idea of learning styles and uh, if you you might have heard people talk about whether you're a visual learner or a kinesthetic learner or an an auditory learner um as as you were saying that the evidence for for those as different styles isn't isn't that compelling but you're still saying dual coding using words and pictures together can be can be quite useful for people so with respect to dual coding what might be interesting for students to do Um, is if you're looking at, for example, a textbook, there's often an image. And sometimes these images are purely decorative and they're kind of like there just to be like, this isn't just words on a page. Look, there's a picture. And those are kind of useless. But oftentimes it will be a picture that really illustrates something. It might be a diagram. It might just be an example of something in the text. And so what you could try to do is take a look at the picture and actually describe 
what's going on in the picture and why it's used in the text to illustrate that particular point. And, you know, this I think is important to do because personally, I remember I would get really kind of overwhelmed by textbooks. It could just be my ADHD, but I never knew like when you were supposed to look at a picture. I know that sounds really weird, but there'd be all these pictures on the page and then there'd be text. And then sometimes it's like a box with more text. And I, I was always sort of like, okay, are these like asides or, you know, should I look at them first, then read it? Or should I just read it and then look at the pictures? And I just like, oh, I don't know. I just want to read a novel where there's only words. Uh, so I would say use, rather than being distracted by those pictures, actually use them and be like, okay, so here, here's a picture of X. It's here because it's trying to illustrate this point, And here are the features of the picture that illustrate it. Then you can do the opposite thing and you can look at the words and then be like, okay, there isn't a picture for this, but if I was to draw one, I might draw, you know, this thing, or I might, you know, if you don't want to draw, you can even like Google a picture and be like, ah, yeah, this perfectly demonstrates that concept or whatever it is. So finding pictures, finding or drawing pictures that demonstrate concepts is a great way to do it, but also using pictures you're provided with and actually sort of elaborating on them, on them verbally will be good. And then you can also integrate your coding with practicing retrieval. So you could try to remember some information in the form of a picture or a diagram or a mind map or whatever you want. So, you know, don't look at your notes, but actually draw out what you can remember from memory or pick a picture without any words, without many words on it, and then try to write a paragraph describing it. So you can kind of play around with it depending on, you know, how well you know the topic. If you really don't know it, then just do the version where you have the picture in front of you and the words and you can kind of link them between each other. But as you get to know the material better, try to practice without, you know, without the information in front of you and just use the pictures as cues for retrieval. Got it. You ended by sort of saying using the pictures as cues. I, I get one of the things I've, I've sort of found it helpful about dual coding is it it gives you two ways to remember something when you are faced with an exam and you're trying to remember what you did. You can remember the words and you can also remember the pictures. Exactly. It gives you two ways to, to prompt your memory. Yes, absolutely. That's that's something I missed saying. So thank you for filling that in. That's very important. And so and in, in sort of similar vein, perhaps you could give an, a, a concrete example of both a concrete example and elaboration in, in action and how I might use those uh, similarly if I, was a, if I was a student. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so let's see. Let's start with elaboration, although now I think I'm going to get myself in trouble because I was about to talk about integration and I've completely forgotten how it works. <laughs> what integration So maybe that's a bad example. But whatever math problem you're doing, so let's say you're doing a math problem and it's got many steps. One form of elaboration would be simply to um, you know, speak out loud the steps that you would take to solve those problems. And apparently some students just do this spontaneously. I was not someone, I generally had this weird thing about not really um, talking out loud when I'm the only person in a room because I felt weird about yeah, it. Sure, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but apparently lots of people do that, but others don't. So if you're someone who doesn't really do that, uh, first of all, know that it comes with age because more and more I've started to do it and I'm like, oh, I've become one of those people. (laughs) But also know that it can help your learning. So as you're walking through the steps, if you actually just say out loud to yourself, okay, so now what I'm going to do here is I'm going to take, you know, the integral, I'm making it up (laughs) and do whatever it is with it. So you're talking through each step. That you know how often the teachers say you have to show your work, right, by writing it out. Well, you can also show your work to yourself by speaking it out loud. And then that's going to help you 
catch errors, but it's also going to reinforce your understanding of it as you go through and, you know, do each step at a time. It could also help you focus on it. So there are many different benefits to it. But I would say, you know, one of the ways to do elaborative interrogation or elaboration is simply just to step yourself through things explicitly and out loud. A brief aside, that reminds me of, um, I was reading about Japanese uh, Japanese train operators the other day, and they do something called pointing and calling. Um, so even the most mundane aspects of train operation, so the, the speed the train's pulling out of the station at or what position a particular key switch is in, the assistant train operator will point and call the train is at 10 miles per hour as we're pulling out or the whatever switch is on. And that just kind of eliminates the chance that they've got any of that wrong. Yeah, yeah no, that sounds really like a good application of elaborative, or in this case of um, the thinking out loud technique. Uh, another way of doing elaboration though is just to ask yourself how and why questions about how how things work and why. I don't know if that would work for the train operator. No, 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 <laughs> probably not. <laughs> um, so, but in a situation that's you know that's less about you doing something with steps such as you know solving a math problem or driving train, elaborative interrogation would be. Let's say you learn a physics concept like something about gravity mm. or you know it could be something about driving a train except you'd be doing it sort of um you know after the fact or you'd be doing it as you're learning about train driving or being a pilot would be a good one ask yourself how and why questions so why is it that you know when i press this button this happens or whatever or if you're learning it more abstractly in physics why is it that planes don't fall you know what is it about it so that you're no longer just saying like okay here's the formula for gravity or here's the formula for force and whatever i actually don't know why planes don't fall down <laughs> this is great i think all of these examples about things i don't know about but um you know instead of learning them in a kind of factual way think about why it is actually that way you know so why is it how is it that right now my voice is carrying through you know, from my laptop all the way to England and being recorded? Well, I don't know. So I might speculate and then I might, I might have to Google it a little bit, but that will be a better way probably for me to learn about, you know, sound waves. And if I just read a factual piece about it, right? So now I'm applying it to a real life example and I'm asking how and why this works. And then I'm trying to answer that using both my own knowledge and you know, some supporting information. So that would be an application of elaborative interrogation. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. The thing about these strategies that's kind of a good thing, but also a tricky thing is that they're not each self-contained. Like each of the strategies, by definition, everything's going to be space practice because you're doing it again. Like if I'm thinking about a concept when I'm not in class or studying, that's space practice right there. Retrieval practice is always going to be the case, too, because you're always going to be using memory to some extent. And then, you know, with elaborative interrogation, you're likely to use a concrete example um, and you might be looking at a picture. So, you know, you're kind of really doing a lot of the strategies at once versus this strategy or that strategy. It's just learning kind of a way to think about uh, studying as more than just trying to learn material. Yeah, that's a really good point. So a concrete example of concrete examples. Yeah, perfect. Let's do that. Yeah. So the one that we use a lot and now it's sort of fixed in my mind is um, the example of scarcity as an abstract concept. So scarcity is this idea that 
you know, as demand for something increases, supply decreases, and then that thing becomes more valuable and price might go up. So that's very abstract, what I just described. But now I can tell you a concrete example, you know, still sticking with the idea of planes not falling out of the sky. Um, if you are trying to buy plane tickets, which I often am because I travel a lot, you will find that as the time comes closer, there are fewer and fewer tickets available. And as such, then the prices go up and up. The same kind of thing happens with ticket scalpers who buy up tickets to a football match and then they're selling them for more because you know demand is outstripping supply. Uh, but the thing about those two concrete examples, the planes and the ticket scalpers, is that they're both focused on tickets. And if you were completely new to the concept of scarcity, you might misunderstand and think that it always involves ticket sales. Now, that might seem silly for people who know what scarcity is as a general concept, but this is what typically happens when anyone acquires a new concept. It's just that they think that it has to be about that specific concrete example. So the idea here is that you need to be looking at and using as many different concrete examples as possible. So in this concept of scarcity, we could also think about a desert and how there's you know, no water. And then if we find some water, we're all going to run to it and, and try to drink from it, which is a completely different thing. Uh, obviously than anything to do with tickets but it's still the same the same abstract concept so what we've done here is we've we've broadened our understanding of the abstract concept by coming up with an example that's still about the same abstract concept but uh now about a completely different uh, i guess at least um artificially or surface details are completely different in this concrete example so it's the idea of using multiple different concrete examples about the same abstract concept. Often teachers will only give one. And so it's a good idea to find more uh, in, you know, in your real life, ideally, or even if you just sort of like try, you know, to focus on finding examples for a particular concept. Yeah, that, that's, that sounds really helpful. So the only one we haven't talked about so far is, is retrieval practice. What would your top tips be for using retrieval practice in studying? Um, well, it- Again, just more of the same that it can really be in all sorts of different situations and different ways that you practice retrieval. It doesn't have to be taking a formal practice test or a formal test of any kind or sitting down to do retrieval practice. Anytime you're thinking about things, you know, outside of the lesson or just an additional time, you're doing retrieval practice. So try to find those opportunities to perhaps explain to a friend what you've learned. You know, that's retrieval practice. Or, you know, draw a picture, you're bored listening to something that you don't want to be listening to, hopefully not another class, but, you know, it happens. Or we're waiting for someone. Well, why don't you just, like, draw a picture out of some of the main concepts that you're trying to learn for, um, you know, for your next exam or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be formal. It's just trying to bring information to mind from memory in any form. One thing I've been thinking about quite a bit recently is is how really good retrieval practice it seems to be that there seems to be a kind of Goldilocks zone, if you like, where it's not completely impossible, but not ridiculously easy either. But it's it's just right. It's it's just difficult enough. Does, does that does that make sense? Yeah. So this sort of speaks to uh, desirable difficulties, although sometimes that gets criticised because it's like, well, how do we know if something's a desirable difficulty? We only know after the fact. It, 
produced learning if it was hard enough or not, you know, not too hard, not too easy. But there's some things to be said for sure. If you're trying to practice retrieval and, uh, you know, you're not getting any of it right or you're not running any of it, it seems like perhaps you should have started with, you know, maybe less information or some uh, concept that's easier or maybe you do need to review it somewhat because you've completely forgotten it. So, you know, it's not like these strategies have to be tweaked. So just because you're doing retrieval practice doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you're doing it with the right materials or the right difficulty. So you always have to think about what makes sense for where you are. Meet yourself where you are, you know, even if yeah. right now you're unable to remember most of the stuff that you'll need for the exam. Okay, well, then give yourself some scaffolding, like give yourself cues or, you know, try to look at the concepts and then come up with examples. You're still using some retrieval practice, but now you're helping yourself by giving yourself some of the material and then gradually take it away. So, yeah, it's definitely really important to get that difficulty aspect right. And the tricky part with that is having good metacognition. And that's the idea of knowing what you know and what you don't know. Yeah, you can use some of the strategies you've been already talking about, I think, to to, to modulate that difficulty. So spacing and interleaving come to mind. If you're finding stuff really easy, then maybe bring in a bit more interleaving and, and chop and change between two different sorts of problems. You know, if you're finding something really difficult to remember, then and you didn't look at it for a couple of weeks, then maybe, you know, reduce that in spaced interval, reduce the time since you last, last looked at it. I'd love to talk a little bit about looking after ourselves as well um, as, as students. So we, you've already touched on a few important concepts like, you know, making sure we have enough time away from our study desk to rest and recharge and, and not working ourselves too hard. And what are the other kind of key things we should be thinking about as, as students to make sure we're, we're in the best physical and, and mental health possible? I mean, I think that one that is, I know that I've already talked about rest, but one that's really the hardest, it seems, is getting sleep right. Yeah. And I feel we think of it as sort of not unimportant, but kind of, you know, oh, yeah, and I need to get enough sleep. But really, that's where everything starts. And if you haven't had enough sleep the night before, your day, you know, even if this day is going to be fine, then the next day is just going to be awful. So really, we have to start with the sleep, even though sleep feels like an afterthought, you know, that happens at the end of the day. But we really have to start with planning for sleep. And that has to happen during the day because by the yeah. time it's night and late, we can no longer, you know, plan for good sleep because now we've stayed up too late and we've left too much to do and so on and so forth. So it's really thinking about, you know, back planning from, okay, I want to go to sleep at this time. What does that mean? What does, how, how what, what time do I need to stop, you know, studying so that I still have time to do all these other things you know, so it's really planning for sleep and self-care the way that you would plan for studying. I think that we we don't really do that. Even if we do take breaks and things like that, we don't plan for those things as much as we're not taught to plan for those things. We're taught that the, those are the things that you just kind of do or, you know, sometimes they're thought of as a luxury. Sometimes they're thought of as just a given. Like, well, of course, everyone, you know showers every day or whatever and it's a weird example but they're you know but these things do sort of get forgotten and get fly, yeah. you know right through the cracks so it's really planning for these things planning for your you know yearly checkup so that you're going to the doctor proactively and not reactively planning for your you know dentist appointment and all those other appointments that really actually do add up especially as you get older so hopefully for students 
they're not that many, but, you know, there are also a good number of students who are dealing with chronic health issues, whether those are physical or, you know, psychiatric, whichever. And a lot of the time is actually spent on either trying to figure out those those uh, conditions or treat them or, you know, um, you know, find the balance that's needed to feel okay. And for those of us who don't have to deal with that yet, I think for most of us, there's going to come a time where that's an issue, either temporarily or, you know, that becomes the new normal. So it's realizing that that's okay. If all of a sudden, you know, you find that you need to take lots of time to go to medical appointments, that's always going to be much more important than any studying that you could be doing. And that's something that I really need to emphasize. You know, you, you have to be healthy first, and then everything else can come after that. And maybe that's not the advice that, I don't know, teachers or parents want to hear. I hope there is advice parents want to hear. But I think personal experience, it's, you know, look after yourself, look after the people who matter to you, make sure you're being, you know, you're being there for yourself and there for them, and then work on the academics or work on, you know, whatever it is in your job that you're trying to improve and so on and so forth. I was having a conversation with a senior tutor at Cambridge University a couple of weeks ago, and she was saying uh, she teaches at two different Cambridge colleges, um, one of which there's a culture of students putting in huge hours every day and staying up late and not getting a lot of sleep throughout the whole year um, and then the other college where the atmosphere is a little bit more relaxed and she said the difference in outcome compared to where students were at the start of the year is you know really stark the students that were pushing themselves into the ground did underperform compared to what you might have expected looking at them at the start of the year and likewise the students that had a more balanced lifestyle uh, you know did 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 pretty well and did, did themselves justice yeah no, I can believe that for sure. It's, it's sort of a short run versus long run thing as well. In the short run, you know, really pushing yourself and also cramming might get you some results. But in the long run, you have to take care of yourself. As well as taking the, the time out to, to rest, making sure we get sleep, any other kind of practical tips that we can build into our day that are important for keeping us on the on the right track? I mean, of course, this is going to be very individual for each different person. Uh, I mean, for me... I need to have reminders that tell me things like take your medicine, which in fact I've already forgotten to do today. Uh, you know, these are those kinds of things that I didn't think I needed reminders for, but actually I realized that I did reminders to get up and walk around. I have that on my Fitbit that, you know, tells me at the end of each hour with 10 minutes to go that I still haven't moved at all. Yeah. My reminders for things that you might not think you need reminders for such as eating lunch. You know, sometimes a lot of people have issues with forgetting to eat and then by the time that you remember you're so hungry that you're just going to grab the nearest unhealthiest thing building in space to just breathe and i don't necessarily mean formal breathing meditation and i mean literally just not rushing from thing to thing this is something that i'm very guilty of where i just over schedule myself and i'm like okay this is so efficient i'm going to get all these things done and then i realize i haven't even like you know, had a chance to just like either go to the bathroom or just like collect my thoughts and just be like, okay, now I'm going to the next thing. And I think that students do tend to overschedule themselves as well. And, you know, they can probably do it because they're young, healthy enough, but eventually it takes a toll. So thinking mindfully about, okay, you know, do I have enough appointments today already that, you know, maybe I shouldn't try to also sneak in 
whatever it might be, seeing a friend in between or doing a bit more studying here, a bit more studying there, maybe it'd be better just to take it a little slower and be a little yeah. more purposeful about the time that we're spending on things. Yeah. No, I think that's that's a fantastic set of advice there. Um, and, you know, I think w- what a conversation. I mean, so much to take away from that uh, for, for students at various stages. Um, thank you for being so so generous with your with your thoughts. I'm sure there'll be people that want to just kind of look you up and find out a little bit more about about what you do. What, what would you, what would you sort of suggest as, as places to, to, to go? Well, I would say that um, if you want more academic stuff, follow me on Twitter at Dr. Y, Dr. W H Y. That's where I often tweet about, you know, the talks I'm giving the papers and other people usually tag me in things that I retweet that are related to the strategies. If you're more interested in the self-care side, you can find me on Facebook at Yana Weinstein Jones. You put that in. There's no other Yana Weinstein Jones. So it's pretty easy to find. And I run lots and lots of groups for different self-care needs. I even started selling skincare as a sort of way to, you know, have a little hobby on the side, but also like a feel thing. Um, And then everything is collected on my website, yarnaweinsteinjones.com. It's a work in progress, but you see a blog that I update occasionally, um, links to my academic uh, pursuits. Uh, I have a book that I recently published that's about the six strategies. So if you go to my website, everything is collected there. But if you want to touch base with me, you know, one-on-one, then Twitter or Facebook, depending on what aspects you're most interested in. Fantastic. And we'll, we'll link to all of that in the, in the show notes, of course, so people can, uh, can find where to go. That, that book being Understanding How We Learn. Yes, Understanding yeah. How We Learn, a visual guide, because it's illustrated with lots and lots of different pictures and concrete examples. And that it has sections specifically for students, for parents, for teachers, but it really can be read by anyone who is or was planning to learn anything at any point, which means everyone. Fantastic. Well, look, Jana, thank you so much once again for, for giving of your time. Um, been a brilliant conversation. Um, thanks once again. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And thanks again, Jana. That was, that was fantastic. Um, and by the way, her book, Understanding How We Learn, A Visual Guide, comes with my highest recommendations if you're looking for a more in-depth read on the science of learning and how to apply it to studying and teaching. It's a really excellent overview and probably the book I refer back to more than any other when I'm putting together new materials for talks and for blog articles. If you're new here to the Exam Study Expert podcast, then a very warm welcome. If you've enjoyed this episode, perhaps head back to episode three if you'd like a bit more on the science of learning and effective study strategies. Or if you'd like a bit more on self-care, the first episode is a great place to to look. And there's a great conversation with Lucy Ratcliffe, who has some considerable wisdom to share on staying positive and keeping your cool. Be a huge pleasure to have your company again next week. Until then, very best of luck with your studies. Thanks for listening to the Exam Study Expert Podcast. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And please take a moment to write a review for our show in your podcast player.